0: Whistle has blown, and that signals another episode of the Entrepreneur's Locker Room Chat with a Champion. Your host, Steve Brosman, a former national track champion, multi-Amazon best-selling author, and successful entrepreneur interviews leaders in their field to give you the tips, shortcuts, and strategies to help you change the game you play. And now your host, Steve Brosman.
1: Yes, the bell has gone, the whistle has blown and we are in for another. This one is a very, very exciting episode of the Entrepreneur's Locker Room, chat with a champion. Buckle up because we have somebody that has gone through the armed forces, is out there doing digital marketing, he's a fantastic on- entrepreneur and he is known for going all in. Robert Bruss, welcome along. G'day Steve,
0: great to be here, mate.
1: Mate, uh, we had a chat and I was on uh, your podcast and thank you for inviting me on. I had, no, nah, I've got to get you on mine because your story, what you've done and what you're currently doing, we just have to share out there. So tell me about it. 17 years old, you you ran off to join the Navy. That was a bit romantic, wasn't it? <laughs>
0: well, you'd think I actually I actually well I'll start off with a funny story for you I went into recruiting and I asked the guy behind the recruiting behind the desk there the Navy guy I said hey man I want to be in the infantry and he said no, no 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 you don't want to be in the infantry come and watch this video back in the day when it was a VHS video he popped it in I watched the video and like literally like six or seven weeks later I was in the Navy after I told him I wanted to be in the army so You know, in hindsight, I I look at that and and kind of giggle a little bit. It's a funny story, but I think the guy pegged me properly. And I I think I was in the right service in the Royal Australian Navy first because, to be honest, the Army was a lot harder than the Navy, and I didn't think that I had the emotional maturity or actually the maturity as a 17-year-old to actually cut it. Plenty of 17-year-olds do cut it, but looking back, I think, man, I would have really struggled with that. And he put me in the Navy, and it was a little bit easier, dare I say it. Uh, But I had an incredible life. I traveled the world. I went to 35 or 36 different countries in four or five years. I went on operations to the Persian Gulf. um, And I went everywhere the Australian Navy goes at the time, except for uh, to a RIMPAC exercise in Hawaii. And I figured, well, you know, I've been on operations, I've done it all before. What else is there to do in the Navy? Uh, Time to get out and swap it on over to the Army. So it was a really fabulous, fabulous start to. career to, to life uh, there because, you know, you've got a pocket full of money, you live on a ship, you hang out with your mates and you travel the world. It's just unbelievable. I couldn't recommend it more.
1: Um, let's start there. And before we get on to uh, to the next one where you uh, started jumping out of airplanes, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> what lessons could you take out of that and you are applying into your actual business now that uh, that is really making a difference for you as an entrepreneur? Well, it's a
0: really interesting question and it's a great question as well. And for me, my job, I was a combat systems operator in the Navy. Um, And if you've ever seen the movie Hunt for Red October, that's kind of the technology that I played with on a guided missile frigate and a guided missile destroyer. And it's old school stuff. You're sitting at a radar scope watching the radar sweep around for hours at a time. You're playing anti-submarine warfare with big expensive government assets, you know, submarines, aircraft, helicopters, other ships, And it is just one big, fun video game. And it taught me, it really taught me to concentrate. It really taught me to focus. And it really taught me what we call in the trade, situational awareness. You have to have a good understanding of what's going on around you. And from a sensor perspective, you know, there's three or four things happening at at once. There's radar, sonar, and there's electronic warfare. And there's the command intent of what's happening on a warship at the same time as well. And being in a position, and I made my way to the position in the ops room called the track supervisor, and you're responsible for everybody else and and what the actual picture is. And the warfare officer wants to know what's happening, and your job is to explain to him what's happening. And during an anti-submarine or an anti-surface operation, I would stand next to the warfare officer, and he would be asking, hey, you know, where do you think the bad guys are? Where do you think the submarines are? Where do you think the assets are? And sometimes I'd look at them and say, hey, man, you know, you're the, you're the boss. You're supposed to know. And they'd shrug their shoulders and go, I don't know, I haven't been doing this long enough. Where do you think they are? And you'd get to drive the warships around and they'd pretend like they're making all the decisions, but you really were. And it taught me situational awareness. It taught me to be aware of, what's happening around me and, and what happens when we make decisions and, and how that affects other people and, and in a military sense, you know, further up the chain. And if you're going to engage something, make sure you engage it and make sure it's a baddie, that type of thing. So I've taken that and I've carried that with me my entire life and it's been a very, very valuable asset.
1: Mate, I'm going to take a leap sideways here and mm-hmm. you're you're a digital marketer. And yeah. that situational awareness and standing next to, the guy who owns the company that you're working with and working for, and you're assessing all of the digital assets that are out there, is it the Facebook, the LinkedIn, and all those sorts of things, and he's saying, what the hell's happening? Can you make sense of this for me and tell me how am I going to make money from it? Is that a pretty close parallel? Yeah, it's a really, really, really common question. And in fact, I would go so
0: far as to say is, almost probably 80 to 90% of business owners that I engage with doing their digital marketing, they're all like, I know I need to do this social media thing. I, I, I kind of get it. I sort of understand it, but I'm not really sure how to, how to measure it. And you know yourself in business and the people listening know that when you measure something, it can be, it can be done. You can go from where you are to where you want to be. If you know exactly where you are, you can't get from A to B if you don't know where the starting point A is. And really I help people to understand what their starting point is, where point A is, and it helps them to move along their journey to point B. And I definitely have a, a bit of a knack for understanding where they are in relation to where they want to be and how all of those assets interact with each other as well at the same time.
1: Yeah, I guess the other thing is is knowing where the torpedoes are coming from and how to avoid them.
0: <laughs> well, you know what? There's just kind of no hope for a surface ship against a submarine. I've been in, I've been in surface action groups where I've seen submarines sink five or six ships inside of about 10 minutes flat. And we'd been looking for the stupid thing for the last like two days, can't find it. And it's been like within a couple of hundred yards of us the whole bloody time. And it just comes in and sinks the uh, the tanker in the middle and all the pickets that are supposed to be protecting it. That's uh, not much choice against a submarine, unfortunately.
1: <laughs> okay, so you've uh, we've, uh, we've left the Navy. You've gone into the um, army or inventory and ended up in the, the paratrooper groups. Um, how was that transition and
0: why? I had a bit of a hard time on the way out of the Navy. They wouldn't help me transition to the Army. You can do what's called an inter-service transfer these days because all the IT systems marry up. But back in the day when I was there, it was kind of a little bit harder. So I actually got out. I was out for about six months, then I had to get back in. And I remember getting all the way to the end of my recruiting interviews. And there's two cranky old warrant officers at the end there that kind of looked at me and one pulled his glasses to the end of his nose. He looked down his nose at me and said, what are you doing here, mate? And I said, well, and I told him the story I just told you about the Navy guy. And he signed the form and he goes, you're in the next intake, mate. Get out of here. Didn't even ask me a question and lined me up and put me there. And it was a really interesting experience for me, actually, because I went to recruit school and at Wagga, you go there for uh, six weeks. And because I'd been in the military already that I was, I think I was maybe two weeks into it. And they said, hey, you can go now if you want, you can head off to the infantry school if you want. And I. But I actually hadn't even learned how to march in the army, really. And you know what? I was kind of enjoying myself at recruit school. Is that a, a crazy thing there? But I, I, I just didn't. I, honestly, I didn't feel like I knew enough to, to actually pack up and leave. So I said, no, no, I'll stick around. It's only six weeks. So I stuck around and finished recruit school straight to the School of Infantry in Singleton. And I finished there after six weeks and at the time was a very, very short entry, very short induction to the military, three months really in the scheme of things. Mm. And the day that I joined my unit, 3RAR, they were taking their packs out onto the parade ground to go into the biggest operation since the Vietnam War, which was Timor, of course. And so it was kind of in some ways, it was like back in the day when people were conscripted it was like you, you go to recruit school, you learn how to march and iron your uniform, you go to the School of Infantry, and then you join your unit and you go straight overseas. Unfortunately, I didn't leave with them on the first trip. The, the boss there was like, hey, man, you know, you've been in the army for about 25 minutes. I think maybe you should stick around here for a little bit. I got a bit of extra training while I was at the battalion there. And they sent me in the first reinforcement cycle a couple of weeks later. I think they'd been in country for about a week and a half, two weeks. It wasn't very long. And then I was straight on the boat and straight across with them um and unfortunately i didn't fit into that first i didn't step off the boat the first time because i don't think they could fit me into a unit and no no platoon or section would take a guy that had been there for half an hour even if he'd uh, had some experience i joined the unit with a mate of mine who was uh, actually in the royal marines and yep. he got out and they t- took him and he went across because he'd been on operations before he'd been in bosnia and kosovo and stuff like that so he knew what he was doing but for me personally, I stuck around for a couple more weeks and then off I went to Timor and on operations there in Timor it was a pretty nasty place. It's a bit of a forgotten um bit of a forgotten conflict in some ways. Just we've that, that we've a, had
1: um uh, members close to our family that have been there and, and they've come back changed people. They said that they saw things there that nobody ever should have to to see. And we don't hear about that there. Um uh, I, how have you taken that and adapted to it and then again you know put that into later life
0: yeah look i i uh you know from my perspective it was a peacekeeping operation um there, there were a lot of crazy people shooting and, and carrying on and hurting a lot of people you might remember the history that the indos invaded timor in 1974 i think it was and they occupied it for 26 years or something like that the Dean voted and said, no, we want independence. And, and the Indonesian people there, it's kind of like an underground society, a little bit like the comparison is like um, East and West Germany. It was like the Stasi of East, East Germany. The, the Indos were like that secret police and they kind of controlled the society. And when they lost control of it, they went, well, bugger you guys, we're going to burn the place to the ground. And that's literally what they did. They set all the government buildings on fire. They, they burnt all the properties. They kill, killed all the livestock. And anybody that they thought had voted for independence they got rid of and unfortunately they didn't really have weapons to do that they did that with machetes it was pretty nasty and and very very uncool and we came in shortly after that and we stopped all of that as the indonesians left um we took over and and secured the place so you know I, i was fortunate not to be Uh, It really in harm's way, although I'd been out on patrols many times and was worried that we were going to get in harm's way and we certainly went out there armed properly and trained properly and we were going out as if we were going to get, you know, mixed up in it. Um, And luckily uh, for me, that didn't happen uh, too frequently. In fact, I'm pretty lucky that that didn't happen at all. What I would say is that it didn't happen in my unit where I was. It happened to many other units. As well, at the same time, it's an interesting experience. Um, I came away from that thinking, well, you know, I joined the infantry and I went on operations. Now, what else is there when I came back? Um, And you know what? The it's funny. The military has changed so much in the last twenty years. It's unbelievable. And I look back at what happened when we got home, and our boss has said to us, "Hey, you know, there's there's no money left over. It's like the government had never planned for an operation." And here we are on, and we've been at war now for the last 15 years, literally with the Air Force and the Army and whatnot. And when we came back, it was like, it was as if the government hadn't planned. And they said to us, there's no money. You won't be going on exercise. You won't be going anywhere. So you've got a couple of choices. You can either stay here and train, or you can go and put your hand up to go to another unit, or you put your hand up to go on courses. And there would have been probably 60% of my mates that went to special forces. They trained up and went across to commandos and to SAS. And I put my hand up to go to the parachute school. And I was very, very lucky.
1: Why did you Uh, pick the parachute school? Was it just one of the choices you thought that's going to be the best one or you've always wanted? It's
0: kind of like the cream of the crop in postings in the army, especially for infantry. I did a little bit of training at uh, the Jungle Warfare School in Kanungara. And I really enjoyed that experience. And they said, you could go to the parachute school or you could go to the jungle warfare school. And I figured you could go and go up to Queensland and live a pretty good life on the Gold Coast there in the back of the Glass House Mountains and learn all of those minor infantry tactics and learn how to be a tracker and bushcraft and all of that stuff. And that was really cool. I really enjoyed that. Or you could go to driving for a living. So that was a pretty easy choice <laughs> for me. And I put my hand up for that. And. Pretty soon, it was like I was. I think I was only in that unit for about a month or two. I joined late in the year, and then very early in the in the following year, I was straight onto my free fall course, and that was a, a pretty pretty cool thing. They, the military have got a very very great training regime in stepping you through go, from knowing nothing to becoming very competent, jumping out of planes, free falling from eight thousand feet with combat equipment at night time. Um, it's a great life, and you know you some some days when you're on a jump series. You'll, We'll go skydiving six or seven or eight times a day. Um, that's pretty taxing on your body and it's pretty yeah, hard yeah. on your mental state. Um, but you learn you learn to play full out,
1: and I guess in some ways that's where I learned to go all in. Well, that that <laughs> that's a great segue because we're coming into the the business part of your life. You you exited, um, and now you've got the the podcast, the business, and everything is go all in. I can tell where it comes from just from your your passion and your personality and everything you've done so far. So why get into digital marketing as an entrepreneur? What did you see in that? And, and tell me all about it. Go All In.
0: That's a really great question, Steve. When I left the military, when I left the army, I got out with two of my mates and we had an electrical contracting company, which did pretty well. And you might remember back in the early 2000s, um, the dot-com boom and the dot-com bust. And at the time, it's amazing when I look back at it and your listeners will will know as well, you know, if you think, Hey, I want to build a website today. I could get a landing page up today in click funnels or WordPress really quickly. Um, in fact, today I've built almost an entire website for somebody in one, one day and a full website end to end. So it's how far they've come. But back in the early 2000s, you needed to have like five computer science degrees to learn how to code in HTML. And it costs you like 50 or 60 grand to build a website. And, that's where it all came from. Uh, we had to build a website for our business and I was like, you know, well, we're not paying 30 or 40 grand for it. Um, let me learn how to do that. And that was kind of the genesis of it. I learned how to do that and other people sort of asked me, hey Rob, you know you know how to do that? Can you do that for me? And I just became a little bit more competent at it, I became a bit more skilled at it. And then I learned in business how that that's coding and building websites is really no different to digging ditches on the side of the road. It's manual labor. So I learned how to outsource that and how to bring a team of people together that are experts at it that are better than me. And I became really good at that business. And lo and behold, the the iPhone came out. I built a whole series of apps for a number of different companies. I built some apps for myself. Nothing you'd know today um, because that's all gone, of course. And I sort of did a lot of work in and around that app space and website space. And as social media came on the scene, I feel like I've seen it all. It's sort of come to life. I I just learnt that stuff along the way by osmosis. People would ask about it and then I would have to learn about it and then I would be delivering services in and around it. There's certainly people that are uh, better at it than I am and they more have better expertise than I do, but I, I know how to make that work and I know how to turn it into revenue for businesses and I do it pretty successfully on a daily basis now
1: as well. Mate, I want to go back from what you just said and, and it's something that... Um I teach people to do, I've done it myself, but most people don't. Most people get good at the process and just stay good at the process. And you said, I got good at the process and then I got good at the business. Mm-hmm. And that, that in itself is, is a lesson for everybody is just, okay, once you've got good at the process, there's no more money getting 5% better at the process dead right it's uh all the money is getting better at the business and and that's exactly what you did and that's what you've said i I got i got good at the business as i've gotten a little bit older
0: and and better read and reading more books and listening to more podcasts and and love and having a better love of the english language because i love to write as well the way that i describe that is when you have a goal you strive for that goal and you end up when you achieve the goal you end up embodying everything that that goal means to you. Whatever that might be, whether you're trying to play football professionally, you become a professional NRL player, you then embody everything that that means to you as an individual. And and I discovered, and I never realized that this is what I do in my life, but I discovered Unless you use that as a stepping off point to the next journey or to the next venture in your life, you're destined to stay stagnant right where you are, which is exactly what you described. I'm just able to articulate it nicely now for myself. And it kind of feels good to be able to know that about myself. So hopefully your listeners get something out of that as
1: well. Mate, I'm going to call you a stalker because (laughs) you've basically read back to me my next book. (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm editing my next book and it's called Exceed and it's all about hitting those goals, mm-hmm. but then using it as what I'm putting in my book, a slingshot effect mm-hmm. using the momentum you've created to hit that goal, not to stop, but actually to slingshot you onto the next one. And then onto the next one. So you set the goals, achieve the goals and then slingshot off. And I mean, it's just like, wow. And when I, I thought we had our first conversation, we were brothers from a different mother. And now it just confirms <laughs> that, uh, the 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 mindset and and when you're saying go all in, it's uh, you know, the old saying is go hard or go home. It really is making, uh, making a lot of sense because that's what people need to do is they'll set a goal, they'll achieve it, and then forget what that did. It's, they don't embody everything that comes with that goal to, as you just said, get to the next platform. And uh, I'm sure you work with your people to be able to, uh, to level up and, and go up. So let's get on to Go All In. Um, the title, what it means, and, and how you work with people on the Go All In.
0: Well, it's a really great backstory that goes with it. And I won't go on too long about it because I, I tend to do that a little bit. But in digital marketing, and I gave a little bit of background anyway, in digital marketing, the service over the last couple of years has become very commoditized. There wouldn't be a tradesman out there that hasn't had a call from an overseas operator claiming to do their SEO or their AdWords or their (laughs) social media or something like that. And it annoys the bejesus out of Australian businesses, right? And and we've all experienced that. And you know what? I've even tried to use some of those people and they're absolutely hopeless. They don't know what they're doing, but they do know how to sell and they hustle pretty hard, which is how they win business. And sometimes they get results. I guess it's just hit and miss. Over the last couple of years, digital marketing has become very commoditized because of that. Everybody's now an expert in building websites and running ads in Facebook and that type of thing. And I needed a way that I could start getting people to come to me. I needed to attract more clients where because the industry becomes so commoditized, it didn't matter how hard I pushed anymore. People would just start shopping you on price. And you know that's the beginning of the end. And it's a, it's a slippery slope. It's a road to nowhere in business if you're comparing yourself with somebody else's price because they all think it's the same. So I started a podcast where I, I figured, actually, I figured I'd write a book about digital marketing. But if you've ever tried to write a book, it's a pretty hard thing to do. And I sat down, I guess I was about 100 pages in, when I realized it actually wasn't writing a book that I wanted. It was sharing my opinions. And I kind of shifted around and done a few different things and had a few different ideas. And it really forced me to be introspective about my life and what is it that I could talk about for 500 or a thousand episodes. And it certainly wasn't digital marketing, but it was the mindset of decision making. And I look back at my life in that period of introspection, and and I found that when I do something, when I make a decision to do something, I actually do go all in on it. And that's not my that's not mine. I didn't make that up. You know, do you go all in on red or black? People have been saying that in casinos. <laughs> Maybe for centuries, you know, it's not they are not my work. But you know what I discovered is about decision making. You never probably gave this much thought, but when you decide to go all in on something, what you're doing is you're giving your best to the world because you're trying your hardest, and that means that you're living up to your potential. And that word potential really has a future connotation to it. Your potential to do something means in the future. But when you decide to go all in on something, you give your best to the world which means you're living up to your potential right now, which means you can make a change for yourself and in the world right now. And I figured if I had a podcast about that, I could talk about that for 10,000 episodes because everybody has got a story. At some point in your life, you've gone all in on something. And sometimes you hear a story about it and you go, eh, and it doesn't really connect with you. And then other times you hear a story and you go, man, I know exactly what that feels like. And people have all, I didn't know because... People have all sorts of challenges in their life relating to business, relationships, sexuality, health, well being, spirituality. And I've, it really opened up my world. And, you know, I achieved everything I wanted to achieve as a digital marker. And I stepped off into the podcasting, broadcasting world. And all of a sudden, a whole new world opened up to me again. And it's more exciting than it's ever been before. It reinvigorated me, and, and I've, I've been re energized by it. It's a fantastic thing.
1: Yeah, look. Uh, once I first got exposed to you, and then I've been watching A and listening to your podcast and what's been happening. It's uh, it's a great world. It's a great lot of uh, great sets of messages that you're out there sharing and uh, inspiring people. Hopefully, to to get out there and go all in. And you've actually done the the trifecta of what I try and encourage so many people to do, but they they really do. First and foremost, you've worked in the business, so you were doing the doing. Yeah. Michael Gerber came along and then you've worked on the business, you got good at the business. but not many people take the leap that you take and what I teach people that they've got to do is work over the business be be the face, be the figurehead and and get out there, which is what you're doing brilliantly with your podcast and other things and I really do encourage people to to go to your podcast and uh, and listen to some of the episodes there. It's, it is go all in. Uh, where is the best way that they could actually find your podcast, Rob? You can
0: just search that in iTunes, Institution, Spotify, all the podcasting platforms because they're all connected to iTunes. So whatever your favorite podcasting app is, it might even be the Google Podcast app, you'll be able to just search Go All In and you'll find that. I just want to add there, Steve, that you said that I took that extra step and I just want the listeners to know that that extra step wasn't easy. It It was hard. And when I decided that I was going to, go and broadcast my message to the world. I had massive, massive imposter syndrome, massive. And I was really, it kind of even gives me goosebumps a little bit when I'm talking to you about it now. It it really is a scary thing to put yourself out there on video and even more so in audio a little bit because it feels like you're shouting down an empty hallway and no one's shouting back at you. So you don't really know what the response is and you don't get any feedback. And when you don't get any feedback, suddenly your ego takes over. Oh, that was stupid. What did you say that for? Oh, that guy was an idiot. He thinks you're a moron. You shouldn't say that. You've got no opinions. And then you have all of these things happening to you, but then you get one text message or one email or one Facebook comment where people say, no, nah, man, that was the coolest thing ever. And you're like, oh, oh. And you know, it took me 25, 30 podcasts to find my groove. It took me a long time. And I just want people to understand that stepping off into the next thing once you've achieved your goals is hard. But if you put your ego to, to the side and you commit to it and you go all in with that decision, it can be done. And in spite of the fear that you feel and despite what everybody says to you, you can do it. And, and I really, really encourage people that are at that point in their, in their life, whether that's relationship or business, to actually take a
1: leap and go for it. Mate, that's brilliant because... Um... There are a lot of people out there that are thinking of oh, it. I'm doing a, a challenge shortly on helping people with videos and get over their fears. But I want to share something that uh, Pam shared years ago. And she, she had a book inside it. And she went to a, a seminar. And then basically, when the person said, the book is not about you. It's about who you can help. And she wrote her book. She basically flew home. It was a, a seminar in New York. Came home and then, yeah, within a couple of weeks, she had the book done out and and, and up on Amazon. And I think it ended up something like about 35,000 downloads. Wow. And she got that one email from somebody. And that email basically said, Pam, thank you so much for the book, for writing the book. Um, My dad passed away and I'm getting on with doing what I'm doing, et cetera, et cetera. And your book has helped me through it. And it's exactly what you said. It's like if that, podcast, if that book, if that video could just make a difference in one person's life or business, then it's worthwhile. And to take what you're saying just that slight step further, it's and you know, get over yourself as you just said and get your ego out of the road. Mm-hmm. These podcasts and, and everything that we're doing, it's not about us. It's no. if we can make that one difference in that one person's life, then that's what it's all about. And when you're uh, you know, doing your videos or your podcasting or whatever, it's just the conversation that you're having with somebody else. And the minute you can get over presenting and turn it into that conversation with that unknown person, that, that ideal person, then you know, doing it is just so much easier. And, and I agree that, gee whiz, um, I've been procrastinating about doing a podcast for a couple of years. <laughs> and it wasn't until you know I did what you're doing is you know I outsourced the building of it and I just do what I like doing which is talking to cool people like you that I actually got it done and got over myself and got out there and did it so thanks for that point because it is uh, it's very worthwhile for the people out there to know there's there's something else that I'd add to it as well and you know, you feel like
0: you suffer from imposter syndrome. And I think, I think part of that or a big part of that is because you look at Instagram and you see this dude there with this ripped six pack and he's got $8 million to his name, 14 Lambos and, you know, 25 supermodels hanging off his arms. And they they, they concoct this view of the world that makes you think I can never be like that. It seems to be, how did they get to there? The reality is you don't need 8 million fans on Instagram. You don't even need 8,000. What you really need is you need 100 people to validate what you're doing is in the right direction. And you only really need a, the, the concept of 1,000 true fans. If 1,000 true fans all pay you $350 a, a month, you can make a pretty good living like that. And the world is a big, wide place. Put yourself out there, find your 1,000 true fans, and you do really well. So that's, don't worry about what everybody else is doing. And you know, to pinch a phrase from Gary V, stay in your lane. Don't worry about what they're doing. Stay in your lane. Concentrate on what you're doing. Concentrate on your message. Put it out there. You'll find your fans.
1: It's not as hard as you think. And you know what? It's worth it. It really is worth the effort. Yeah, just like my track coach, I'm an ex-professional sprinter. (laughs) He always used to say, run in the tunnel. Yep, don't worry about them left and right. The minute you start worrying about the people beside you, you lose form, you lose the race. So run in the tunnel, stay in the lane. It's, uh, it's all exactly the same. And too many people get up, check out what everybody's doing on Facebook, get totally peed off with somebody saying something and they've lost their day just yeah, because it of just doesn't coming matter. on social media and, and letting other people dictate their feelings. And you let other people dictate your feelings, then you let other people dictate your time. And that's totally. just the real, uh, it's a real no-no. It's just that no one has the right to make you feel anything and no one has the right to steal your time. Yeah, totally agree with that. Fantastic. Mate, well, let's get on to the Fast and Furious Five. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to some of these answers, buddy. So uh, here we go. What non-business, sport or activity would you want to be the champion of? God, I think. <laughs> I thought we are heading that direction. So, yeah, that was good. What one yeah. personal thing would you want people to know to understand you better?
0: That was a good question. And... Uh... You know what, Um, I don't know, just just, despite the front, despite what I look like, because I look pretty mean, I've got this big German square thing going on and I've got this big brow and it looks like I'm frowning all the time. I'm actually a pretty approachable and a pretty nice guy, despite what it might look like from the front.
1: (laughs) Cool. Um, Look, I've had some great chats with you and I can vouch for that. That's really cool. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) What one habit would you like to change?
0: Um, I get I get a little bit distracted a little bit too easily. There's a lot of shiny toys in the world that I live in, and there's a lot of really wonderful opportunities pulling me left, pulling me right, pulling me forwards and backwards. And I really need to learn to concentrate better than what I actually do. And I actually think that that's a, ha- that's a habit. It's a bad habit that, you know, when I'm in the middle of something, I should really concentrate on that. And if the phone rings, I should just let the phone ring. Or well, don't worry about that email, and I should... You know, there's so many productivity hacks out there these days and I read them all and go, oh, that's really good. That's awesome. But I never use any of them, so I should use some of them. And (laughs) if I could be more productive and less distracted, that would be a a really great habit to fix for me.
1: That's a good one. That's great. Who has had the most, who or whom, have had the most influence in your life? Business or personal? You choose. I would say from a business perspective,
0: um, a guy named Oren Claff. Uh, Oren Claff wrote a book called Pitch Anything. And when I discovered Oren Claff and Pitch Anything, my business, my life, and my, I guess, I guess my career in my business really took off. Um, I've always been a, a fan of sales. I love sales, I love people, I love selling, and I love being in front of people and showing them products and services and doing that. I've just always something I've liked to do. And I guess at its core, it's about helping people and helping people with the right products and services. But when I discovered Orin Claff and Pitch Anything, It really refined my sales techniques and my process. And it helped me to understand all the things that I was doing wrong. And really, it's not really a book about sales. It's about communication. And it's about understanding how people communicate together. And of all the things that are out there, the NLPs and all of those courses, the Tony Robbinses of the world and whatnot, Iron Claff is the thing that resonates the most loudly with me. And I think from a, a professional perspective, because... It really changed my business once I started selling much better than what I was and closing much better than what I was. It affected every aspect of my life. I had more money. My business was better. When you got more money, your personal life is better. And, you know, Oren Claff has been a, a big influence on me, even though he's only written one book. He's got another book coming soon. Um, Pitch Anything. I must have listened to that audio book. Made no,
1: no word of a lie, probably at least 100 times. Yeah, um, I've read it twice. It doesn't, doesn't get close to 100, but um, I've enjoyed it and I enjoyed his work as well. Now, the final question. This is the interesting one. I always love this one. If you were to be the answer to a quiz show question, what would you like the question to be?
0: The question would be, if I put my Tony Barber voice on for a moment, and my radio podcasting <laughs> mic here, the question would be, in 2018, a movement was created by a young man in Sydney, Australia, and that movement was called Go All In, and it taught people to go all in, to be committed to their decisions and to really have a crack at what they wanted to achieve in their life. Who was that person? I'd (laughs) like them to say my name.
1: Mate, that is brilliant. It's probably the most articulated answer to that question I've had. All right. Um, But I did enjoy it. It was great. Absolutely. (laughs) And I have enjoyed our our chat again. Thank you uh, so much for... For jumping on boards and uh, if you like uh, the interviews and the, what we've got here on the entrepreneurs locker room make sure that you do subscribe head over to our Facebook group the entrepreneurs locker room we've got some really cool things that are starting to grow over there and don't forget to go and check out uh, Robert's podcast himself go all in thanks so much for joining us and we're gonna have another great interview for you guys again real soon cheers
0: Well, that's full time on this episode, but don't forget to subscribe, rate, and we'd love you to leave a comment. Head over to the Facebook group, The Entrepreneur's Locker Room, where there'll be some great bonus content to help you step up and play a bigger game.